Well, welcome once again to Maple Grove Covenant Church. So glad that you're with us this morning as we continue our series entitled Scrooged. Because oftentimes when we hear the word Scrooge, we think of a tightwad, penny-pincher, money-miser, and rightfully so, Ebenezer Scrooge was a greedy old man. Charles Dickens described this greedy old money-miser, tightwad, but then something happened. He received an unexpected Christmas gift. He saw his future in light of his past and present, and he got a new start. A second chance. He made amends and he moved from a life of greed and isolation to a life of joy and generosity. He got scrooged. And that's our desire over the next few weeks is to move in some small ways or maybe some big ways from from greed and isolation to joy and generosity. Our desire over the next few weeks as we prepare for Christmas is to get Scrooge is to see the light, to make amends, to turn into a life of joy and generosity. And last week we started off our series and we learned that it's hard to see greed in the mirror. It's easy to see greed in other people's lives. It's easy to see greed in a neighbor, a friend, or in a family member, or even Ebenezer Scrooge at the beginning of the story. But it's hard to see greed in the mirror. It's hard to see greed in our own hearts. That's why Jesus says, watch out for greed. That's what we talked about last week, because it's hard to see greed in our own hearts. And last week, he received a gift, and this gift is available to everybody, and even to take one and give to a neighbor or friend. Our ushers have some available in the back. And this is a a book from Generous Church to You to help us grow in the grace of giving, to move towards a life that's truly life, a life of joy and generosity. And inside the book, there's this little uh, curve or ladder, and it's it's entitled, I've Been Scrooged. And the desire is to try to find yourself somewhere on the ladder. That's what we talked about last week. And then ask, hey, where am I at? And where would I like to be this Christmas, or maybe even next year, as it relates to joy and generosity? And once again, you can get one of these books after the worship service at the New Connections table or as you're leaving uh, the worship this morning. But this week, we want to take another look at the character of Scrooge. And this week's question that we're seeking to ask is this, what makes a Scrooge? What makes someone into a greedy, money-miser, old man? And to help us answer that question, I interviewed J.C. Cutler of the Guthrie, the actor who plays Ebenezer Scrooge. And I asked him a variety of questions, including what made Ebenezer Scrooge into such a greedy old man? Here's J.C. Cutler. The one thing that Scrooge could control was money. He could control business. He couldn't control his parents leaving him alone at Christmas. He couldn't control his abusive father who beat him. He couldn't control the young woman who he fell in love with at the Fezziwig party and they almost got married and then he became more and more into business because business made sense to him. Business was something you could control. You could control transactions. You could control money coming in and that made him feel secure. Money made him feel secure. As we always tend to say, I certainly did as a young man, 
I just want to get us to a place where we're secure so that we can live our life happily. And of course, that's almost looking at it the wrong way, you know. You can always want more security. You can always be striving for that. What is the point at which you say, I'm happy and I'm secure? And then, of course, as the parents left his life, when his sister died that he loved so much, as the people who loved him the most started to leave, when this young woman couldn't take it anymore because she just, he cared more about money than she, and she left him, he just decided at a certain point, I don't want to be hurt anymore by people, and he decided it was the people that were hurting him, not he hurting the people. So then he locked the doors, worked all day, didn't associate with people anymore, didn't go to the parties, didn't spend time with his family. And the only way he could get through his day was to be the biggest, hardest, cruelest businessman and be good at it. He was very good at it. He made tons of money and didn't spend any of it. And that made him feel secure. It made him feel like he was protected. Nobody's hurting me at least. I think that everyone will find something in the Scrooge character they can relate to. I do. If they really look deeply into the man, especially the whole man throughout the course of the play. When they first see him, of course, what I hope is that they don't relate to him, that they think, oh no, I'm not like that. But as the play progresses, I hope that they see more and more of themselves in this man. You know, that they see how things in their past shaped who they are. I believe that we all have an idea of what our past is, but it may not necessarily be what our past is. We rewrite our past. We start to look differently at our past. We start to think that people maybe did more things to us than they did, or they did that one thing to us that got in our craw and we never let it go. So for the rest of our lives, we play that loop over and over and over and over. And we're locked in a way that we started thinking about someone and ourselves as like a third grader, and it's run our life. Scrooge, the first thing he sees is himself in the school when the schoolmaster would beat them and his parents would leave him there at Christmas. And he'd be by himself in the schoolroom reading a book in a cold schoolroom with a an intoxicated school teacher who came and beat him occasionally. Scrooge didn't even remember this. And he, for the first time he sees himself as a boy and has compassion for what happened to him. He forgot that he had been mistreated as a child. And as the play progresses, he sees more and more things that he'd forgotten about or he'd stopped thinking about, you know? So that he begins to have forgiveness for himself and what had happened to him and for the people that he thought had done things to him but hadn't or had or whatever. So he has a bigger picture of what really had happened to him and why he became, why his actions became protective. Because I think what we do is we, we don't want to get hurt, so we start protecting ourselves by closing off things so that people won't hurt us anymore. And if that means isolating in our room and closing the doors and not answering the phone and not caring about people and being angry at everyone, then that's what you get. That's what Scrooge did. A variety of bad things happened to Ebenezer Scrooge from
being left alone uh, as a child, to losing his sister, to losing the woman that he loved. And it's easy for us to see that the results of bad things happening to him made him this greedy old man. And it's not surprising. It's almost natural to think that bad things would cause all of us to build self-protective walls so that we won't get hurt again and live a life of isolation and greed. And many of us can look back even in our own lives and the challenges that we face that have hurt our identity or we've isolated ourselves from others. See, bad things can certainly make us into a Scrooge, but so can good things. So can the good things that happen in our lives. More often than we'd like to admit, some of the good things can make us into a Scrooge. The good parents, good education, good job, good church, good morals, even good deeds can make us into greedy, self-centered, self-righteous people because we think we deserve it. We think that God owes us. We think that, hey, I've been good, therefore God needs to be good to me. And very slowly, very subtly, we isolate ourselves from God and others, and we move to a life of greed. That's what happened to one young man in the Scriptures. He became a greedy man, not because of the bad things that happened to him, but because of the good things that he Received His story is found in Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Mark chapter 10, page 1002 in your pew Bibles. The words will also be on the screen. But as you're turning there, I just want to remind you that this is a good man. This was an upright man. He was a rich man. We know this young man as a rich young man ruler. He was rich. He was young. He was probably good-looking because those things go together. And he was this rich, young, good-looking man. And on the surface, he had it all together. He had everything he needed, but under the surface, he was missing something in his life, something deep, something personal, something spiritual. And he ran to Jesus, and he asked this life-changing question. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, We read the following. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The man reasoned, there's something missing in my life. I'm not sure what it is. I already have a good family. I already have a good education, a good job. I'm already wearing the best clothes, hanging around the right people. I'm already a rich, young ruler, but there's something missing in my life, something personal, something spiritual, something meaningful. And he asked Jesus, he ran, fell on his knees, and asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How can I experience God in my life? It's a great question. It's a question that many of us ask throughout our lives. And Jesus answered the rich young ruler by saying, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Why do you call me good? You might want to circle that word good. We're going to come back to that a little bit later on. But Jesus continues 
his answer to the rich young ruler. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. You know the path to eternal life. You know the commandments, and Jesus rattles off most of the Ten Commandments. And the rich young ruler responds, Teacher, he declared, All these things I have kept since I was a boy. I've been a good boy, Jesus. I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't commit adultery. I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls that do, Jesus. I'm a good boy. I'm rich. I'm young. I'm good-looking. I'm moral. I'm upright. I follow the commandments. And Jesus looked at him, and he condemned him. Is that what Jesus did? Jesus looked at him, and he threatened him. If you don't change, Jesus looked at him. That's not what he did. This is what Jesus did. Jesus looked at this young man, and he loved him. Because that's who Jesus is. He loves us. He looked at this rich Young man, confused about life, missing something deeply spiritual in his life, and he loved him. And he loved him enough to speak truth into his life. One thing you lack, Jesus said. There's one thing missing in your life. Just one thing that will enable you to experience an eternal kind of life. And what's that one thing? Here it is. Go Sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Go, sell everything you have. Sell your house, your clothes, your toys, your stuff, and give all your belongings to the poor. Then come follow me. Come have a relationship with me. Believe in me. Sell everything you have and follow me. Believe in me. And at this, the man's fast face fell, and he went away sad. It's kind of a strange response. I mean, one would think that he would want to follow Jesus, to experience this eternal kind of life. But he went away sad. It's the Greek word stignazo. This, this face that has fallen, this grief that he feels, it's the same word used when Jesus is at the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's talking to his buddies. He's, he's deeply sorrowful for what he's about to experience. He's grieved. He's sad. He's distressed and exhausted, sweating blood. And why is this man so sad? Why is he grieving so intensely? Because he had great wealth which is quite fascinating because most of us, when we think of great wealth, we think of joy and happiness. We think great wealth is a good thing, and most of the time it is. Great wealth energizes us most of the time, but not this time. Not for this man. Not for this young ruler. He was deeply distressed and sorrowful because his wealth prevented him from following Jesus. He knew he was missing something, something eternal, something personal, something significant. But his wealth blurred his vision, blinded him spiritually, and prevented him from following 
Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, watch out for greed. Because wealth is so deceptive. Wealth makes you think that you're in control. Wealth makes you think that you don't need anybody else. Wealth makes you feel like you're superior to others. Wealth can, 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 can distort your thinking and cause you to live in isolation and greed. And that's what happened to this young man. Not because of the bad things that happened to him, but because of the good things. His good family, his good education, his good job, his good morals, his good deeds, his great wealth prevented him from experiencing Christmas and following Jesus. That's the power of wealth. And it's any amount of wealth that can distort your thinking. Jesus said it this way. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Jesus actually added an exclamation point. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? It's hard. It's difficult. It's nearly impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples, hearing this, were amazed at Jesus' words. And, and they were amazed because they knew this rich young ruler. They knew the life that he lived. They knew that he was morally upright and good. He didn't lie. He didn't steal. He didn't commit adultery. He didn't cheat. He was healthy, wealthy, and wise. He was young and in control, and his disciples were amazed. So Jesus repeated himself. Children, he said. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And then he illustrates it with this point, this idiom. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's kind of a strange idiom. Maybe you've heard it. It's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Of God, And some scholars try to describe this idiom by saying that there was a gate into the city called Needle. And that a camel would have to go really low in order to get under the needle to get into the city. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, he didn't say it's really tough for a camel to get low. He says, it's hard. It's impossible for a camel to get through the eye of a needle of a kind of illustrate it like this. You see a camel on the screen, and there's the needle, and it's not the scale, right? It's a big camel, a small hole. And Jesus said, it's impossible for a camel that size to get through a hole that small. We might say it this way, like when pigs fly, right? Or a snowball's chance in hell because hell's a real place and it's really warm and that's what Jesus is saying. It's impossible. There's no way a camel can get through the eye of a needle. And his disciples were even more amazed. They were befuddled. They were flabbergasted. They were beside themselves and they said to each other, then who can be saved? If this rich guy can't get saved, this guy who who gets all these blessings from God, because remember, wealth was seen as a blessing from God. If this rich guy can't get saved, 
If this morally upright guy who follows all the rules, who follow the commandments, if he can't get saved, then what about us? Who then can be saved? The disciples are flabbergasted. They're beside themselves. They don't know the answer. So Jesus answers the question, this timeless question that we all ask at some point in our journey. This life-changing question for this young rich man and for all of us, searching for eternal life. Jesus said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And we may conclude that's not very helpful. No, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And that may not sound very helpful until you remember the question that the rich young ruler asked. Do you remember the question? Do you remember the question as he approached Jesus? He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've already done a lot of good things. I've already gone to the right schools. I've already got the right job. I'm already ruling well. What else must I do to receive an eternal kind of life. And do you remember Jesus' answer? Why do you call me good? No one is good. See, the rich man believed that he was good enough that his good deeds would get him into God's good graces, that if he followed the rules, his works would fill that hole inside his heart, that somehow his actions would save him from an eternity without God. And Jesus loved this rich man enough to say, no one is good enough. It's impossible by your good deeds to enter into God's good graces. You've got a snowball's chance of making it into the kingdom of God. And that's why he walked away sad, because he thought his good deeds could earn him a spot in the kingdom of God. It reminds me, of an experience that I often had as a child during the Christmas season. Maybe you did as well. Oftentimes we would go to the mall or Santa would come to our home and I would have the chance to sit on Santa's lap. Anybody else have that opportunity when you were a kid? That you had a chance to sit on Santa's lap. These are actually children of Maple Grove Covenant Church, the Mackay children sitting on Santa's lap. One child is not having a very good time, but the other ones are, because if you, like me, had a chance to sit on Santa's lap when you were a kid, he would ask you two questions. The, one was, the first one was my favorite. Do you remember that one? What would you like for Christmas? And I always had a list, didn't you? I had a list, you know, I wanted this video game or I wanted some hockey equipment or I needed some clothes and I needed some toy. And I would tell Santa the things that I wanted for Christmas. Do you remember the second question that Santa would ask? Have you been good this year, right? And I always hated that question. Have you been a good boy this year? But every time I'd ask, I'd I'd answer the same way. 
Oh, yeah, Santa. I've been a good boy. You don't have to worry about me, Santa. I know that you're making a list and you're checking it twice to see who's been naughty or nice. Count me on the nice side, Santa. I've been good. And maybe you, even now, have a list of the things that you want for Christmas. Maybe you don't go on Santa's lap, but you have a list and you think that I've deserved these things. I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl. And that's how the rich young ruler approached Jesus. I've been good. I've followed the rules. I've done the right things. I deserve eternal life. And so often, we approach God the same way. We run up and we sit on his lap and we tell him all the things that we want for Christmas. We want better health or better family or a new car or a new home. And we tell him the things that we want. And he doesn't even ask us the next question. But in our hearts, we're saying, and I've been good. And I deserve the toys. I deserve a good life. I've been good enough. And Jesus loves each one of us enough to say, you're not good enough. You're not good enough to receive eternal life. In fact, it's impossible for you to receive eternal life, to have a relationship with God based on your good deeds. You're not good enough. Just for fun, I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him, you're not good enough. And say it like you mean it. Just for fun, turn to your neighbor and say, you are not good enough. Because you're not. You're not good enough as a mother. You're not good enough as a man. You're not good enough as a student. You're not good enough to get into God's good graces. And here's the worst news. You'll never be good enough. Because it's impossible for us to earn our way into God's good graces. You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. But here's the message of Christmas. Here's the message of Christianity. There's someone who is. There's someone who is good enough. Another rich young ruler. A man who walked this earth, the wealthiest man on the earth, far more wealthy than this rich young man in our story. Scriptures describe this man as the one who made everything, all the glories and riches of heaven. He's the wealthiest, richest ruler ever, and he gave it all up. He gave it all away. Paul wrote it this way, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. See, there's another rich young ruler who left the glories and riches of heaven to be born in a barn, in a manger, to live as a wanderer in object poverty with no place to lay his head, to die on a criminal's cross so that 
we might be rich, so that we might experience a personal relationship with God and receive eternal life. See, we're not good enough. We'll never be good enough. But there's one who is good enough. And all who put their faith in Jesus receive eternal life. But we must believe. It's not something that we do. It's not something that we work for. It's something that we receive at Christmas. It's the gift of salvation. A gift that's impossible for us to do on our own strength and our own good efforts, but made possible through Jesus Christ because he lived the life we couldn't live, a perfect life. Because he died the death that we deserve to die on the cross. Because he rose again, conquering sin and death forever. We can receive eternal life. We can have a personal relationship with God through Christ. But we must believe. According to the scriptures, there are three types of people in the world. There are those who think they are too good. They're like the rich young ruler. They've had a good life. They've had a good education. They do good things. And they think they're too good to receive the gift of salvation. They're too good to humble themselves and receive the free gift of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And there are also not just the people that are too good, but the people that are too bad. Much like Ebenezer Scrooge at the beginning of the story. They're too greedy too isolated, too under the rug to think that God could possibly forgive me and give me the gift of eternal life. See, there are people that are too good. There are people that are too bad. And there are people that know they're not good enough. That they'll never be good enough. And they put their faith in Jesus. And they receive an unexpected gift. The gift of forgiveness, the gift of new life, the gift of salvation in Christ. See, that's the message of Christmas. And my question for you is, which one are you? Are you too good to receive the gift of forgiveness and new life? Are you too bad? Do you think there's no way that God can forgive me? Or are you willing to admit, I'll never be good enough and receive the gift of salvation and inherit eternal life? See, if we believe that we're pretty good, that our natural effort can make us into God's good graces, we are going to miss Christmas, the miracle of new life in Christ. But if we believe If we put our faith in Jesus, not in our good works, not in our good deeds, but what Jesus has done for us, you know what's going to happen to us? We become like Ebenezer Scrooge at the end of the story. Going, selling all his things and giving to the needs of the poor. Extravagant joy and generosity. That's what happens to all who receive the gift of Jesus in response to all that God has given us. You can't help but give it away 
to others. Maybe you're here today and you have yet to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're returning to church after being away for a long time and maybe this is a moment where you can say, yes, I want to receive this gift that I don't deserve but that I desperately need, the gift of salvation. Maybe this is a moment for you to put your faith in Jesus or maybe you've been to church for a while but you've lost the joy of your salvation. And maybe this is a moment for you to return your faith and your thinking onto the truth of what Jesus has done for you. Or maybe you're going through something impossible and you're not quite sure how you're going to get out of it. Maybe God's word to you is that he can do the impossible. I don't know where you're at this morning or this Christmas season. All I know is that you don't have to leave this worship service sad. You don't have to have a sad Christmas. You can receive greatest Christmas gift ever, the gift of eternal life in Christ. And then you can live a generous, joy-filled life. You can get scrooged. That's the message of Christmas. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough, but I put my faith in the one is and I receive and I believe and in response to that belief I live a life of joy and generosity. God we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truths in your word. We thank you Jesus that you left the glories and riches of heaven to come down to earth to be born in a barn to live a life of poverty to die on a cross to make us rich. Do a work inside of us this morning to return to that reality of who you are and all that you've done for us. Transform us into people of great generosity in response to all that you have given to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to receive the offering. The offering is simply an extension of our worship because we believe that everything we have is a gift from God. And we return back to him what is rightfully his to express our faith in Jesus.